Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting me. And uh, on behalf of the Chapel Church, uh, we just are so grateful uh, for our friendship, our partnership in the gospel and the ways in which we get to link arms together and see God's kingdom advance in this region. So, so thank you very much. Um, now, m- many of you don't know me, but one of the things you need to know about me, particularly in light of this text, is that growing up and sort of even still, I was that child that got scared really easily. You know those, those children? Like my guess is I have a twin brother and an older sister, and my guess is I slept in my parents' bedroom more than my brother and sister combined. Anything and pretty much everything made me fearful. Now, recently, I did something that in my book was terrifying. I went camping. (laughs) Now, don't be too impressed. I just went camping with my kids in my own backyard. (laughs) But I'm afraid of camping. I didn't grow up camping. And I have a long list of fears as it relates to camping. Right? I'm I'm afraid of bears. I'm afraid of bugs. I'm afraid of body odor, right? Like, it's like the three B's of the camping apocalypse. And uh, our church every year has a family sort of all church camp out. And the first year that I became the senior pastor, this was like four years ago, I was like, well, I guess I have to go. And I went. And I remember after surviving that camping trip, I've subsequently never gone again, but Afterwards, I, I remember uh, a man, a, a fine man, came to me about a, two weeks later and said, you know, I, I've known you for a, a few months now, and I always just thought you were just so calm and peaceful. And then I went camping with you. <laughs> now, we all have fears, don't we? And, and part of, the, part of the, the reality is that all of our fears, whatever they are, fears are actually grounded in reality, aren't they? There are things called snakes, and snakes actually bite. Bears exist. Storms come at an instant. I mean, just, just, just this past week, uh, 1,100 men and women, and, and probably growing in Pakistan, died because of a storm. Or think about what's going on in Jacksonville, Mississippi right now. 150,000 people without drinking water. Fears. We all have them. And if you're one of those people that say, oh, I'm just not a very fearful person, well, just think about the things that stress you out, that make you anxious, those worries, because all of those are just outward manifestation of an inward fear. Or just think of the past three years. I mean, you could just frame the last three years as the very things that are giving rise to our fears, to to vax or not to vax. To mask or not to vax. If I go to a grocery store and I'm not wearing a mask, what are people going to think? Or if I wear a mask, what are people going to think, right? I mean, just the fears, they just increase and increase and increase. I mean, I remember when a few months in, I was sitting with uh, at an elders meeting with my elders, and I remember just thinking, I mean, let's just put our fears on the table. No, no matter how we go, no matter what direction we set as a church, not everyone's going to be happy with us. And we're going to lose people. We all have fears. The question this morning 
What do we do with them? Whatever your fears are, whatever your worry is, whatever is stressing you out in this season, what do you do with your fears? That's the question we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to look at a psalm. So if you will, turn with me to Psalm 121. Now this psalm, this psalm it's, uh, it's in a collection of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And what this is from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, it's a group of psalms that evidently pilgrims in the Old Testament, when they would go to mandatory feasts, they would leave their home and they would travel to Jerusalem and they would sing these psalms on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And really, each of these psalms teach us something about the Christian life. They they teach us how to be disciples of God. And so this morning, if I could title this sermon in, in some simple way, it would be this. You, you've heard of TripAdvisor, right? The, the, you go online you, you, before you take a vacation with your family and you try to figure out how to do it well and successful, where to eat out. This is sort of a TripAdvisor. This psalm is an anxious pilgrim's guide to successful travels. And the big idea is simply this. I give my church a big idea every week. Evidently, you guys do too. And the big idea is this. God is our help in the midst of our fears. And we're going to kind of break down this text in two parts. One, God is our help. And then we'll spend actually the most time in kind of the second part, which is it does our soul. It does our heart. It does our mind. It does our fears well to consider that first truth. So let's go to God's word, Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He will keep you. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If you go back up to verse 1, our author does something, right? He, he, he is traveling. He, he's traveling from his home to Jerusalem and he looks up and he sees the hills. He sees the mountains and he asks a sort of rhetorical question, doesn't he? He, he, he asks, where does my help come from? Now, we shouldn't be confused that as he's looking at the mountain, that the mountains are not where he's going to find his help. Actually, the mountains are the very thing that are creating that emotional and existential angst in his soul and heart because mountains are scary. Mountains are terrifying, right? Mountains are where, and you could think of like those old Westerns, mountains are where the bandits hide and can come down and attack you. I mean, every day I, I drive and it's not cloudy, so like three times a year, and I see Mount Rainier, I'm like, this is glorious, it's beautiful, but I'm told that someday it's going to blow. Mountains are beautiful, but they're also scary. 
And so this pilgrim, as he's, he's walking to Jerusalem and he, he sees the hills, he, he, he just experiences fear and worry and anxiety and stress. And he, as he's looking at, kind of, uh, at these mountains, he asks the question, now, where can I find help in light of these fears? And the pilgrim answers, verse 2, doesn't he? He says, my, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, his health doesn't come from the mountains. His help comes from the maker of those mountains, the Lord himself. And as you pilgrim through life, which is an apt metaphor for all of us, there are mountains that menace us all, aren't they? There are fears that come. There are stresses. There are trauma from our past that haunt us and awaken us even from the deepest slumber. And the question is, the sort of not just rhetorical question, but the, the question for all of us, is where do we go? In our fears, in our worries, where do we go? And verse 2 gives us the answer, right? The Lord, and that's the Sunday school answer, but like most things, talk is cheap. And it's really easy to say, yes, the Lord is my help, but to live it, to, to have that be your first reaction in your fears is to run to God and to seek him and find refuge in his care and help. Well, it's easier said than done. Recently, one of my children was diagnosed with some mental illness. And I remember when the diagnosis came, and maybe this is just like stereotypically masculine or something, I went into like fixer mode. And I had a 10-year plan of how we were going to navigate this, right? Down to the days and weeks. These are the things we need to do. I had a game plan, and I mapped it all out. It was safer to do that. It was easier to do that. I wanted control. And so in the midst of a situation in which I needed help, I turned inward and thinking through, okay, now how do I navigate this? How do I, how do I get through this? My guess is all of us, in some way, shape, or form, when we were faced with fears and worries, sometimes our gut reaction isn't to turn to the Lord. It's actually to turn into fixer mode. We turn inward. We seek control or comfort. And so here's a reminder to us that first and foremost, when fears come, when mountains begin to menace us, look to God. Which is why in many ways I think this psalm is so helpful because it assumes something. It assumes our weakness. It assumes that we're fearful. And it assumes in many ways that all of us have sort of theological or spiritual dementia. We forget the simple reality and the simple truth that God and God alone is our help. And something wonderful happens in verse 3. But look there, there's a, there's a change that happens. In, in verse 1, the pilgrim uses the first person pronouns, I, and then in verse 3, he changes to he. Second person pronouns. Now, there's two options. There's two sort of interpretive ways that we could think about this. One, it's, there's two speakers and they're talking to each other. 
So, so you've got maybe a, a young pilgrim on his way, and then all of a sudden an older pilgrim kind of puts his arm around this young pilgrim and begins to kind of talk spiritually and kind of help this pilgrim along his way. I don't think that's what's going on. I think this is one speaker, and so he says this theological truth, but then, having said it, he begins to talk with himself. Right? Do, do you ever do that? Right? You know something, but sometimes you just got to talk to yourself. Well, there's, there's, some, there's some good to that. You see, uh, we, we all have voices in our heads. We, we all have lies that, that come and tell us various things, and so it's not just enough to to sort of say, I'm not going to listen to those voices. Sometimes we talk back to those voices. And I think that's what the pilgrim's doing here. He's, he's talking to the, those voices, the voices in his head that are not pointing him to God as his help. And he begins to sort of meditate on God as his helper. And so starting in verse 3, all the way to the end, to verse 8, the pilgrim kind of preaches six sermonettes. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these sort of six kind of um, aspects of God as our helper and how they apply to our lives and help us in the midst of our fears. And I'd just like to just say by way of application that, that this might be just for you in the midst of you, whatever fear you're going through right now. But, but don't forget that, that as you live in community, as you live at a church, as you covenant together as this church, what, one of the best ways that you can help someone is sitting with them in their fears and walking with them and pointing to them the hope of God as their helper. So, so this might be for you or, or these truths might be some, some things that you can put in your back pocket and as your friends, your brothers and sisters are going through things, you can pull them out and help them along their pilgrimage to faithfulness to God in the midst of their fears. So first, verse 3, we read, he, he will not let your foot be moved. Uh, every Thanksgiving, right around that time, my family goes ice skating. It's sort of a family tradition. And when my kids were really young, they would fall, right? Ice is slippery. And if you are not good at ice skating, little kids, when they're starting to fall, they just reach out for anything that will steady them. And so I would always be by my youngest kids so that when they would begin to slip, they would reach out and I would hold them and steady them. That's the sort of imagery here, isn't it? That, that as we go through life, as we experience these fears, these worries, God holds us. As, as we sang earlier, he will hold us fast. God holds us. He grabs us. He steadies us in the midst of life's troubles. We might stumble, but God holds us steady. The second sort of theological truths that we learn, we see second, it says that he who keeps you will not slumber. And then if you go to verse four, it's sort of a repeat, neither slumber nor sleep. Now, something is interesting in, in the Old Testament, there were lots of gods that other nations worshipped. And sort of one of the hallmarks of all these other gods that the other nations worshipped is that these gods got bored and fell asleep a lot. And so what the priests would do or what these, the, the nations would do is they'd, they'd come up with outrageous rituals and superstitions to try to wake up the god who was bored with them. 
Well, not the true God. You see, this God, he doesn't have narcolepsy. Actually, in contrast, he has divine insomnia. God does not fall asleep. He never sleeps. He's always watching. I can remember in each child, I, my, my wife and I have four kids, and, and when we take the baby home, we'd, like the first like week, we, we'd put the baby in the little crib, and I remember we'd sneak in, you know, when, when the child was sleeping. It sounds kind of creepy, but just stay with me for a sec. We, we'd, we'd sneak in, and we'd just watch the baby, you know, breathe. Is, is the baby alive, you know? And we'd just rhythmically watch the, the baby's breath up and down. We would just watch. Is he or she warm enough? Do we need to swaddle him again? Well, God, in the same way, he is watching us. And he doesn't need caffeine to keep him awake. He's watching, he's caring, and though you and I might at times be bored with our lives, God isn't. He continually is watching, caring, being there for us. Keep reading. It says, Behold, he keeps Israel. If you notice that word keep, some of your translations might say protect. And this word, keep or protect, depending upon how your translations translate it, it comes up over and over and over again. Six times in our little psalm, it says God keeps, God keeps, God keeps, God keeps, God protects, he protects, he protects, he protects. It's as if this pilgrim is like muttering this over and over again. This is on musical loop in the soul of this pilgrim. God keeps, God protects. And he keeps whom? Verse 4, Israel. God's people. But do you remember the first Israel? Jacob? Jacob's an interesting character, isn't he? He steals his brother's birthright. He does some shady things. You know, he, he doesn't always tell the truth. He runs away. And you might think, in light of all of his life, ethically he's not above reproach in any way, shape, or form, and yet God is always with him, huh? He, God even wrestles with him, and yet God never leaves his side. God continues to protect him and keep God until one day God says, your name is no longer Jacob, it's Israel. God keeps his people. And so the, the pilgrim is reminding himself by muttering this over and over again that God keeps his people. Even when we morally fail, even when we sin, even when our weaknesses abound, even when we're fearful of things that we shouldn't be afraid of, and even when we live lives that fall short of the theology that we so cling to, here's a reminder that God keeps you. If you are a Christian, this is a great promise. God keeps you. God protects you. God is committed to you. 
Then verse 5, it says, the Lord is your keeper. Here the idea, it's not just that God helps, which He does. It's not just that God protects, which He does. But here, it's the idea that God is keeper. God is helper. It's who He is. So often, in the light of our fears, in the midst of our suffering, our trials, we, we, we beg God to act. God, fix this. God, come to my rescue and take this fear away. And here's a reminder that one of the greatest things God does is He's present with us in our fears. Recently, one of my children had a panic attack. And if you've never had a panic attack or seen a panic attack, it's, it's like about as close to death that you can experience not actually dying. I mean, the world just closes in on a person emotionally and physically. And it's not logical. You can't talk someone out of it. You just survive it. And when it's a child, it is particularly traumatic and terrifying and really hard to just watch happen as a father. And I remember I was with one of my children as they were going through this, and I remember all I could do is just be in his presence. And I just sat there in the midst of his panic attack, and I just said, buddy, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I won't abandon you. I love you. I'm not leaving. I'm here. Just breathe. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. I love you. God does that for us. You, you might not experience panic attacks, but in the midst of your fear or worry or stress or hardship, God does not abandon you. It's part of who God is. He is with you. Actually, that great promise at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, I will never leave you or forsake you. God's presence, one of the great promises, God is with us, always with us. He might not fix it like this, but far greater than him just fixing whatever is going on in your life, God is with you. Then we keep reading, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you day or the moon by night. When I was in college, I had the worst job I've ever had by far. It might be the worst job in this room. I worked at an allergy company and I had to drive every day to Plummer, Idaho. If you don't know where Plummer, Idaho is, it's in purgatory, okay? Okay. It's horrible, and I'd have to drive there in the summer because it was my job to walk in 100-degree heat as ragweed was pollinating and with a sickle cut it down for 10 hours a day. And if you don't know anything about ragweed, you had to wear jeans and long sleeves. It's extremely, like all of us are allergic to it. It's why it's an allergy medication. And so you don't, one time I touched my eye, that was a bad idea. And this was before iPods, right? So I have no music. So it's just me every day just looping around, cutting ragweed, wishing that I was not there. 
And I just remember the, the, the oppressiveness of the heat. Well, well that's Palestine. It, 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 you know, we live in this kind of mild climate, but, but Palestine's a desert. And so the pilgrim leaving his home to Jerusalem, I mean, the, the heat is oppressive. And dehydration, it's, it's a real threat. And notice the sort of evocative images and imagery that the pilgrim uses. It says, the Lord is my shade. The sun, it's not going to strike me. It's not going to harm me. It's as if, like we, we've all experienced that when we've, we've been, you know, in the heat outside and then we walk inside. And I walk inside and there's air conditioning. Sorry, I'm not trying to boast, but we have air conditioning. And you just feel the, just the comfort of the AC and the calm and everything just seems like it's going to be okay because it's just so much cooler. Well, God as our helper feels a bit like that. And then we have this mention of the moon and night and darkness, sort of dangers that come out in the dark. There are particular dangers and temptations that I do think come out in the night that don't come out in the morning. I mean, when you think about it, the ancients kind of actually connected craziness with the moon, right? Lunacy, lunatic, lunar. They believe that you got a bit nutty at night. Well, there is a kernel of truth there, isn't there? There, there are metaphorical dragons that come out at, the night, at night, don't they? J- just think about it. I don't care how well you sleep. Sometimes you are woken at two in the morning just thinking of that meeting and is it going to go well at work? Or that problem you just can't seem to fix. All of a sudden you're awake in the middle of the night. Or, or you do something or, or log on somewhere you would never do in the middle of the day, but you're doing it at night. There are metaphorical dragons that come out at night. And so this psalm reminds us that those fears, those, those, those dragons, those serpents that come out at night, those fears, those worries, by God's grace and by God's power, those serpents, their fangs, they've been defanged. They can't harm you. They can bite, but their poison has been sucked dry. Isn't that a beautiful image? And then the sort of last, the last verse, the last couple verses, says the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord is concerned with all of you, all of your life. He is with you in the past, in the present, and in the future. Every step you take, every step you're about to take, God is with you. As we like to sing to our kids, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. That's exactly right. And it's interesting that this psalm ends, kind of ends optimistically, right? I mean, if you're the pessimistic type, or as my wife likes to say, the, the realist in the family, you might think, this pilgrim hasn't experienced life. 
I mean, it ends with being like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. Be happy. It seems like this psalm paints a different picture than the world we live in. Like people really do get sickness and evil. Fears really are grounded in reality. And in many ways, I think there's one more theological truth that helps us in the midst of our fears that this psalm points us to. I think perhaps it's the greatest way. You see, this pilgrim, he points to another pilgrim. You see, this collection of psalms, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, these are not just pilgrim songs, like songs to be sung by a pilgrim. These are songs of the ultimate pilgrim. Do you know when, when Jesus lived his life, do you know what book of the Bible, the Old Testament, that he quoted from more than any other book? It's not the Pentateuch. It wasn't the first five books of the Bible. It's not the prophets. More than any book in the entire Bible, Jesus quoted from the Psalms. So, so when asked to give a sign of who he was, Jesus quotes from the Psalms. When he's confronting, confronting his opponents, he quotes a psalm. When he's about to be betrayed, Jesus, you named it, quotes a psalm. When he spoke about the world and its hatred for him and the world who was going to reject him, he quotes a psalm. When he spoke about his sorrow and, and how to kind of understand his sorrow and how to communicate his sorrow, he quotes and borrows a psalm. When Pilate asked him if he was the son of God, quotes a psalm. When he's dying on a cross, what is it that comforted him? The Psalter. And when he talked about his second coming, he quotes a psalm. This psalm may feel optimistic, but it's not naive. Because there are just, you could say many things about Jesus, but one thing you, all of us have to say is that Jesus was acquainted with suffering. There was nothing naive about Jesus. And yet it's the, the very language of Jesus that he used to make sense of his experience. And when Jesus was in trouble, when Jesus needed help, he so often turned to God. Actually, not so often. He always turned to God. Throughout all his life, Jesus, he experienced much danger, evil, that all sought to overcome him. And if there's anything we know about Jesus, we know that time and time again, he perfectly and truly encapsulated the first few verses of our Psalms. He knew that God was his help. He turned to God in times of his trials. He proclaimed in his life and in his words, the Lord is my help. The greatest pilgrim to ever live, Jesus Christ, died taking our sin upon himself. And then he rose in victory. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now intercedes for us. He intercedes for all those in Christ. And you see, do you, do you see what his death purchased? His death purchased not just your salvation, it did that, 
not just so you can be unified to him, but his death purchased your help. Right now, he's helping you by interceding for you. The greatest way Christ helps us is by living and dying, rising, ascending to glory, and now he intercedes on and for us. He is our help. Such that, and because of the incarnation, he knows all of our fears and he's acquainted with all of our fears. So nothing is shocking to him. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered Satan. Jesus conquered sin. Such that we no longer need to fear any of them. Did you see how this psalm, it really is a psalm about trust, isn't it? It's a psalm that reminds us that whatever comes, we can trust God. The the same God who cares enough for us to send his own son to die for sinners is the same God who will come to your aid whenever and wherever. God protects you. He is with you. He helps you. He is for you. Do you know that? There are many things not to name and claim. This is one of them. God is your help. You can name that and claim that. So where do we go from here? Well, sometimes the best thing to do is to name your fear, to put it on the table. Lord, I am afraid of this. I am afraid of that. And in so doing, as you put that fear on the table before God, then run. Run to him, run to his care, run into his protection, and find what we find the pilgrim finding. In God, he will help you in the midst of your fears. He will guide you, protect you, and keep you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are reminded in, in, in so many ways that that in many ways we're not even emotionally in touch with all of the ways in which we are afraid. And yet, Lord, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are grateful that we, we need not be afraid of, of death or sin or separation from you. So we pray, Lord, that we would once again in our lives, moment by moment, that we might turn our eyes, our affection to you as our helper and learn and grow to trust you. Help us to do that and help us to help others do that. And we pray all that in your son's name. Amen.